0: This podcast is brought to you by the Kansas Hospital Association. Welcome to today's episode of Plain Spoken. I'm Audrey Dunkel, the Vice President for Government Relations here at the Kansas Hospital Association. And with me is Landon Fulmer from Landon Fulmer Consulting, who is our boots on the ground in D.C. for our advocacy efforts. Welcome, Landon.
1: Thanks, Audrey. Uh, Really glad to be here.
0: Great. Well, we wanted to give you a quick update on what's happening with the No Surprises Act. As you'll remember, the No Surprises Act was passed. uh, as part of a larger bill. Landon's going to talk to us about how that happens and went into effect on January 1st, 2022. So Landon, let's talk about the history of the act.
1: So the No Surprises Act came from a longstanding concern that you would have patients who would go into an emergency room. They thought they were covered by their insurance plan. They received the care that they needed. And It wasn't even necessarily an emergency room. It could be actually uh, ambulatory surgery as well. And then maybe the anesthesiologist that was used uh, as part of the procedure um, wasn't covered by their insurance plan. And people would get stuck with these huge bills and it wasn't really any fault of their own. And it wasn't the fault of anesthesiologist and it wasn't the fault of the hospital and it wasn't the fault of the insurance company but uh it was clearly a hole in the system that needed to be addressed and so congress decided to go about um writing various bills to try and address this and as time went on and this is really in the 2019-2020 timeframe, there were two schools of thought about how this could be addressed one would be to try to tie payments from insurance companies to providers to the in-network benchmark rate, sort of the average rate that um, that insurance companies would pay providers for a particular type of procedure. The other method that was being developed is the one that we favored, which was that the provider and the insurance company would go to arbitration. The reason that we favored this particular method was because If you had this in network rate, what we feared would happen is that insurance companies would start price fixing, essentially, that if there was some particular type of operation that had uh, a large uh, sort of hole of surprise billing that would take place in it, you would see insurance companies start to really gravitate toward a lower in, in network rate for those types of procedures, and that would then squeeze the providers because the providers are providing the service for whatever the cost is and deserve to be compensated according to that cost, plus their labor and their effort. This is a fight that kind of played out in the House of Representatives in two different committees. The Energy and Commerce Committee took the position that insurance companies wanted, which was benchmarking payments for surprise bills to the in-network rate. And the Ways and Means Committee took the position of providers, including what was our preferred position, the Kansas Hospital Association, which was to have the providers and the insurance companies in the event of a surprise bill go to arbitration. Uh, One of our champions on this issue all along was uh, Representative Ron Estes from the Wichita area. He and the Ways and Means Committee, uh, of which he's a member, stood firm and held their ground even when bills were coming out that tied surprise bills to the end market and network market rate. And as it turned out, that became really the only viable way of addressing this issue because of a lot of the advocacy efforts of KHA, AHA, doctors groups, etc. In order to address the problem, they took the Ways and Means proposal and put it into the Consolidated Appropriations Act 2021, which is this huge bill uh, that passed right at the end of uh, of 2020.
0: And Landon, does that happen a lot? Do they end up putting policy bills in budget bills like that very often in DC?
1: I would like to say that it doesn't happen a lot, but the truth of the matter is it does happen a lot. And the reason is because budget bills have to pass and a lot of policy bills, people would like to have them pass, but they don't have to. And so if you feel that there's something that needs to be addressed, one of the best ways to get it addressed is to put it into a budget bill. So the Ways and Means Committee got their version into the budget bill that passed. And that is what went into effect. And that is where the law that went into effect on January 1, 2020 comes from.
0: Thanks, Landon. So one of the concerns I know as we looked through the legislation is what were the regulations going to be on that independent dispute resolution process? Because obviously that was a very hard fought process. Provision of the legislation. So let's talk a little bit about that independent dispute resolution process that really is, really has been the biggest concern uh, from the healthcare industry, mostly because of our concern, again, as Landon had shared, that the concern is getting payments driven down to basically the lowest common denominator by the insurance companies. And this has been a challenge as we looked at the statute or what was in the bill versus what came out in the regulations from HHS. So let's talk about what's actually in the legislation as far as the independent dispute resolution process. Now, first of all, there's an independent arbiter that pulls the two parties together to discuss it, but they are given some very specific requirements as far as what it is they should be looking at when they determine the appropriate payment for the out-of-network provider. Now, of course, they should take into account that qualifying payment amount, which is the median, But in addition to that, there are some other things that they're told they should also be considering. Uh, And that includes the level of training and the quality of outcomes for that particular facility. So the quality of services that are being provided, the market share being held by the non-participating provider, the acuity of the patient. You know how this goes. You can end up with a patient who is truly an outlier and requires a significant amount of very expensive care. The teaching status and case mix of the facility. Facility, As well as whether or not the facility really made good faith efforts to negotiate a contract, but it just was not possible with the insurance company. So that all seems pretty logical. But what we, say, we see in the HHS regulations is completely different. Uh, and what's in the HHS regulations is that the certified indispe- independent dispute resolution entity has to select the offer closest to the qualifying payment amount unless they determine there is credible information submitted by either party that clearly demonstrates the qualified payment amount is materially different from the appropriate out-of-network rate, which is a very, very different set of standards than what's actually in the statute. Well, of course, as We looked at this as healthcare providers. No surprise, this has gone to the courts. First of all, the American Hospital Association has filed in federal court in DC on this issue, but also our friends at the Texas Medical Association filed suit in the courts in the federal courts in Texas. And the federal courts in Texas, just uh, at the end of February said that, you know what, this regulation does not follow what was passed in the law, does not follow the intent of Congress. And so you cannot apply those standards in the dispute resolution process.
1: I think an important feature of this is that in the intervening time between when the bill passed and the court's ruling in late February, there has been a lot of effort on the part of providers, including KHA, to try to coalesce our folks, the people who are supporting us on Capitol Hill, including Congressman Estes, to try to put out there very clearly what congressional intent was. And in fact, there was a letter signed by 152 members of the House of Representatives last November that laid out kind of what I told you at the beginning of this podcast, where there was two particular types of ways of addressing this. And one was specifically chosen because the other one was not chosen. One was chosen over the other. And on that letter, we had all four House members to the Kansas Congressional Delegation. We had Congressman Tracy Mann from the 1st District. We had Congressman Jake LaTurner from the 2nd District, Congresswoman Sharice Davids from the 3rd District, in addition to Congressman Estes from the 4th District. We saw that Congress was stepping up to say, we think you might do something like this administration. We think you might try to twist this bill that requires independent arbitration into a benchmarking rate, and we don't want that to happen. And so I think that's a really important thing that's happened in the intervening time, and I think has helped bolster our case in the courts.
0: You know, what's important to note is that letter is the result of the mobilization of not just Kansas hospitals, but hospitals all across the country. So all of you reaching out to our congressional delegation members and letting them know your concerns about what was happening with this process and why what might be part of those regulations was a big part of getting that done, don't you think, Landon?
1: Absolutely. Advocacy really works when it's done at the grassroots level.
0: Yes, it does. We are now in the position that the courts uh, in Texas have said, this is not okay. HHS, this regulation cannot go into effect. And so, while there is the option that this may go be appealed and go to the next level of courts and be in process. And certainly we know our friends at the American Hospital Association are going to continue with their lawsuit in D.C. Landon, what are the congressional options to addressing this issue now that that HHS has come out and done exactly what Congress asked them not to do and told them not to do? What, what's the next step?
1: Well, in my talking with people uh, on the Hill, Um, I would say that they're looking very closely at what the insurance industry is going to do if they're going to appeal this decision from uh, the federal court in Texas. They're also watching the DC district court very closely as well with the AHA lawsuit there. Congress does have some options though, and we've started talking with some of our our supporters about what those options might be. One of them would be to put what I like to call belts and suspenders on this. Uh, They could go back in and they could say, they could amend the statute. And again, this would probably have to be hooked into a budget bill at some point, but they could go back in and amend the statute to say all of these considerations are things that you should be considering in any case of surprise billing. However, none of them needs to take precedence and none of them should be put on a pedestal where you're going to shift the arbitrator's attention specifically to that one and not take into account the totality of the situation. So essentially what they could do is they could go in and amend the bill to say that all of these matter and no one of them is more important than the others. That's one way that Congress could go forward with this to really put the belts and suspenders on what we think is happening in the courts right now.
0: Thanks, Landon. Well, I think that what you should all should be expecting is to hear from Landon and I again on this issue as we watch it closely as it moves forward. Uh, we may be reaching out to you to ask you to contact your congressional delegation members and let them know it needs to be part of Uh, whatever appropriations bill they come up with. We know that March 11th is the deadline for the current continuing resolution. And we'll see if we get a full robust budget bill or just a longer continuing resolution uh, as we head uh, towards that date. Uh, To help us out on the advocacy front, and it's easy to do that, we want you to sign up for our Voter Voice app. And you can access the app for your phone, your tablet, uh, through the Apple Store or through uh, the Google Play Store, pretty much wherever you get your apps. Go into Voter Voice. And when you type in the organization, type in Kansas Hospital Association. Very important because if you type in KHA, you'll get to the Kentucky Hospital Association. And while I know they'd appreciate your support, we'd appreciate your support a lot more at the Kansas Hospital Association. And on that app, You can get links to our campaigns to reach out to the members of our congressional delegation. You can check out our key bills and what our positions are on those bills, not only at the federal level, but at the state level. And then it gives you an opportunity. You can look up your legislators and your congressional delegation members and reach out to them whenever you have something you'd like to share about what's happening with your hospital. Again, that app is voter voice. And I think, Landon, if there's nothing else to share, that wraps up our conversation for today on Plain Spoken.
1: Thanks for having me on today.
0: Great. Thank you, Landon. Thanks, everybody. For more information on Kansas health issues, go to kha-net.org.